Um, it's one of those mornings where printer didn't work, so I'm using my computer, everything went crazy. Um, how many of you ever had a day where everything goes crazy? Surely none of you. Um, I was I was telling somebody like the this morning the context of my week. I think I had, I think I might have had the busiest week of my year this this week. It was like um, went on a camping trip for the school for my for Judah last weekend for Grace this weekend. I was on a business trip in another another city. We were working on closing this big deal. We were working on finishing our business incubator curriculum and. We had the girls' birthdays this week, and then I, I had prepared my sermon midweek because I knew it was going to be a busy weekend, but still had that we drove back last night at 10 o'clock, and I woke up 6, more, 6 a.m. to finish getting ready, and then Friday we were like, you know what, you're not going to have any music Sunday, so <laughs> all right. <laughs> How many have ever had one of those weeks? Um, so, so we are in a season of generosity and emphasizing that, and I want to bring this up because sometimes we can get focused in our life on the charity and the good deeds that God has called us to and the spiritual maturity that He's bringing us into, and we can lose sight of some fundamental elements of the gospel because we're so focused on growing who we are. And so I want to remind you this morning of some critical funda- of a critical fundamental truth and how it plays into our life of generosity. And so I want to read to you from Romans 4.3. You've, you've probably heard this before. But it says, what, what does the Scripture say? This is talking about Abraham. Romans is this passage about Abraham. Oh, yay, we have the screen. Um, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and he was credited to him as righteousness. Everyone say, believe God. Um. So I want to tell you a little bit about Abraham's story and to contextualize this verse. Probably a few weeks ago, I decided to start reading Genesis. Um, I know we have our Abiding Life Journal. I also am reading in Genesis, so forgive me for that. But um, one of the things I do often when I feel like I need to recontextualize my life in the story of God is I look for the, the books in the Bible that actually emphasize God's narrative. So whether that's Genesis or First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, like I go back to these books that actually find themselves that f- focus on the story. And I often go back to Genesis. And so I was reading Genesis, and I love the story of Abraham. And I want to talk about um, just the life of Abraham for a moment. And in Genesis 13, let, let's let's read. I'm reading from the message, starting in verse 1. It says, So Abram left Egypt and went back to the Negev, he and his wife and everything he owned, and Lot was still with him. By now, Abram was very rich, loaded with cattle and silver and gold. I love that it says loaded there. (laughs) He was loaded. Um, He moved on from the Negev, camping along the way to Bethel, the place he had first set up, a place where he first set up his tent because Bethel and Ai and had built his first altar. Abram prayed there to God. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, was also rich in sheep 
and cattle and tents. Apparently he was also loaded. But the land couldn't support both of them. They had too many possessions. They couldn't both live there. Quarrels broke out between Abram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. And Abram said, let's not have fighting between us, between your shepherds and my shepherds. We're, all, we're after all family. Look around. Isn't there plenty of land around? Let's separate. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Lot looked. He saw the whole plain of Jordan spread out, well watered, well watered like a garden, and like Egypt stretching all the way to Zoar. Lot took the whole place of Jordan. Lot set out to the east. That's how they came to part company, uncle and nephew. Abram settled in Canaan. Lot settled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. So I want to mention to you in this story a detail that we often that we often miss. And I want to I want to just point this out to you. When you're reading the Bible, details really matter. Like when you're reading the story and you're trying to understand what is God saying through the story, don't just gloss over at a high level. Like there are details that really matter. I want to draw forth the detail that maybe we haven't thought about. And it says so 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 at the time of like Genesis 12, God uh, Abraham was in Ur, the land of his father, the land of the Chaldeans. And he is like I always think about Abraham as his contribution to the faith as he took a really long walk. Like God said I want to take you out of the land that you don't know of your fathers and I want to take you to a land that I'm going to that I'm going to show to you. But there's a critical part of this promise that God is doing with him, it's that he's going to give him a specific land. He's not just going to make him into people. He's going to give him very specific land. And if you imagine, like from that point on, from the point of him inheriting the promise, that land became like the central point of all humanity. Like Jerusalem is built there. Jesus is crucified there. Even today, an enormous amount of our geopolitical tension is around this particular land. And what we're looking for in Revelation is that Jesus is going to come back and New Jerusalem is going to descend. So this is like a really specific piece of land. But I want you to see the detail here that's really important. The way that Abraham came into the land that God had as a promise for him was like kind of like second choice with Lot. Like, they're sitting there, they're fighting, their people are fighting, and Abraham's like, listen man, this is all this fighting, you, we're loaded, I'm, you're loaded, I'm loaded, like, let's go our separate ways. And he's like, you pick. And Lot looks to this land, and then, you know, Abraham turns around, and he looks to this, he's like, okay, I'll go this way. Now the land that God centered his people on from that point to the rest of eternity was found in a game of you pick and then I'll pick. And it feels like, you know, almost like, you know, like almost accidental. 
And it's really, really important that we, that we read the details of the Bible because what, what we're seeing here is that Abraham received a promise not by clinging to the promise, not by trying to fight to make sure it happened, but just by simply walking with God. So, I wanna, so when, when God told Abraham to leave, he, he, you know, he gave him a really clear call. In Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, from your people, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. Now, he, he gives Abraham a very, very clear call. How many of you have ever gotten a clear call from God? Like, he gives him a very, very clear call. I want you to leave here and go somewhere else. But he does not give him clarity about how he's going to find it. And in fact, the way that he finds this place that's supposed to be the promise for his life and his kid's life for, through all generations is by this accidental sort of game of chance. And how many of you in life sometimes feel like you spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly where it is that God is leading you. And yet what, what the Bible says about Abraham in Romans 4 is that he believed God. And because he believed God, he wasn't anxiously trying to figure out where exactly it was that God was going to lead him. He just sort of stumbled into it. And then when he came to the land, God tells him, as we go on in Genesis 13, if you look to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, I'm going to make your people, like, you know, I'm going to do this incredible thing, and this is going to be the land that you're going to inhabit. But Abram simply continued along the path that God had for him. God asked him to follow him, and he believes him. So I like to play this game with Andrea. And my game is pick, pick one, pick, pick one. And it might be as simple as, would you rather have to have no feet for the rest of your life or no hands for the rest of your life? I think Toby started me on this game. And, and uh, so we, we, play, we play this game. And I asked her this question. This is an interesting psychological question you can ask to your spouse later. Um, I asked her this question. Would you rather be able to read my mind at any time or would you rather me be able to read your mind at any time? <laughs> she thought about it for a while. Come on. What, what would you pick? <laughs> you want to you wanna read the other person? You're like, oh, it's too much transparency. Um, so I asked her and she thought about it and she was like, uh, I don't know. I'll pick reading your mind. And I was like, so what would I be most surprised about if I could read your mind? She'd be like, how much my head is in like detail, pragmatic stuff all the time. And, and so she asked me the same question. What would you, what would you, you know, what would I be most surprised by? I was like, you'd be most surprised by how often I'm genuinely in reflection about something. And she was like, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. I was like, however much you, you think I am thinking, I'm thinking more than, you're think, than you think I'm thinking. And, and so we were talking about this, and I was realizing that this is, how many of you believe there's a value in reflecting on life and reflecting on, I, I believe that, but 
I think sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to interpret the life that God has for us instead of just living the life that God has for us. And I think I'm guilty probably more than anybody of just always trying to analyze, always trying to understand. And, and uh, I just, I'm just reminded that God has not asked me to sort things out. He's asked me to trust and obey Him. Like He hasn't asked me to sort things out. He's asked me to trust and obey. To believe in Him. He hasn't asked me to figure out my spiritual maturity. He hasn't asked me to figure out all the answers of my life. He's asked me to trust and obey. And you look at like all of the actions of Abraham's life who is commended as being the father of faith. It's like he goes to a place and the land that he finds, he finds in sort of this weird like pick pick two. God, the big thing God asked him to do is go sacrifice his son and then he doesn't even, not even going to sacrifice. He doesn't even need his son anyways. He just wants to see if he's going to believe him. And even like, even the way that he was going to manifest the promise, his body was old, his wife was old, and then God was like, I don't need your strength anyways. I'm just going to do it when you're old. It's like every single thing that Abraham lived out in his life, it's like the action didn't even matter. All that mattered was that he was one who believed in God. And so here's what Romans 4 says about him. It says, What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say though? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are credited as a gift, but as an, ob but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Do you want payment, or do you want the gift of God? Like Abraham did not receive payment for his good behavior. He did not find a prize at the end of life for figuring it out. He simply believed in God and received the grace that He had for him. I, I just want to say this as just a foundational truth of the Gospel. Our faith rests on the death and resurrection of Jesus, not on our good schemes about how we can become great spiritual people. Our faith rests on His death and resurrection. We are not meant to self-actualize ourselves. We are meant to just give our lives away for Him. I want to look back at the, at the chapter that um, is before in chapter 12 that talks about the promise. In Genesis 12, 1-3, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from the country your people and your father's household into the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed. 
through you. So I want to keep I want to keep this text in mind, and I want to go back to the story of Abraham and Lot. So remember the two loaded cousins. And they're living life together. Their people start fighting. And Abraham says, we both have enough. You go one way, I'll go one way, and I'll take what you don't take. I want you to think about this. That God gave Abraham his promise because he preferred his nephew. Like Abraham's promise of the land that he would live on for the rest of his life came to him from him saying, you pick first. Like he's saying, I, you, you know, whatever you want, I'll, I'll do the next. His generosity led to his abundance. It wasn't his clinging to something that he wanted that led to his abundance. It was his generosity. Like, okay, so if I were to break the sermon into two points, the two points are that first, we must believe God. Everyone say, believe God. The second thing, which is what it says about the life of Abraham, is that we are blessed... To be a blessing. Blessed to, everyone say blessed to be a blessing. So what, what did God ask Abraham to believe? What was he this thing that he was credited righteous? He asked him to believe. That if you will walk with me. I will make you great. So that you will be a blessing to others. Like the promise that God gave Abraham wasn't just about land and or about his kids. It fundamentally boiled down to, I'm asking you to believe that if you will walk with me, I will make you and your family a blessing to others. The gospel is an invitation for us to come into Christ's salvation, to receive his Holy Spirit, that we might be a blessing. Like the gospel isn't for you to actualize your dreams or whatever it is that you think that you want. The gospel is that we are meant to be a blessing. We've been brought in by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that the world might be blessed through our blessing. And that's what God asks us to believe. That's what He asks us to put our faith in. And and. The, the promise to Abraham is simply this. You will be blessed to be a blessing. Our identity is based on our generosity. Like our identity is based on our generosity. It's not based on what we accumulate. It's not based on what we achieve. It's not based on the exploits of our life. It's based on to the degree in which whatever He's blessed me with, I will be a blessing. Whatever He has given me will come through me. And if we're those who are like Abraham, that as we're going throughout the way, we're constantly preferring others, we will find ourselves just accidentally, not accidentally, but accidentally seemingly, we will find ourselves in the land of God's blessing for our lives. How many of you have ever accidentally found yourself in the land of God's blessing? I mean, I, when I look back at God's leading 
and the miracles and the ways that He has spoken to us, it's like, I imagine it sometimes is like, man, we were very careful and thoughtful and moved forward so grace, grace, graciously with God. But in reality, it's kind of like God is nudging me forward always. Like in, the re- in reality, it's like I'm just kind of like, you know, kind of clueless and God is leading me. Oftentimes, we cling tight to what we think might be God. How many of you cling tight to what you think might be God sometimes? Oftentimes, we cling tight to what we might think we might think is God, not because of our faith, but because of our doubt. You see, when we believe, when we believe Him and we trust Him, it frees us up to be generous and open at every point of our lives. Others are free to receive from us. I've noticed that in prayer sometimes it feels like I'm clinging tight to that thing that God has spoke to me. And I, and I believe in in being faithful and remembered what He's spoken to me. But sometimes the clinging clinging tight is more doubt than it is faith. I don't look at Abraham's life and think, man, he was trying real hard to find that thing. I, I look at a man's life who walked forward with God and God led him. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to invite us to come to the table of communion. And we're going to finish a little differently. I, I want to you to find groups of three or four people, and I want you to reflect on this question. If you can share this um, with each other, the question this for this morning is, where are your attempts to trying to figure out God's perfect and right thing for you impeding you from simply trusting Him and believing Him? Where are... So I'll I'll state the question again. Where are your attempts to trying to figure out God's perfect timing for you, impeding you from simply trusting and believing Him? Uh, With that, I want us to come to the table. Um, I want us to grab the elements, and I want us to find three or four people, and I want us to share our thoughts on this question in, in small groups. So... You can come. If we can just give our attention real quick. Amber has something she wants to share. I was just going to share. It's it's funny. Um, sometimes um, you can hear several messages that will kind of give you a full full download of what God is wanting to talk to you or whatever. But, you know, Benedict, you talked about, like, coming to the table, and that's something the Lord has laid on your heart as an outreach. And then um, John just happened to mention, you know, uh, last week about um, his wife having... A, 
a medical issue and how it made him want to be like the woman that just wanted to touch the garment. And for some reason, that whole story just made me think of like coming to the table. And as a parent, because I'm like knee deep in parenthood right now myself, um, just the table of life and the different seasons of life. And, you know, Russell, I thought about what you said. The older our kids get, the natural order of things is for us to, like, for it to start evening out until one day they're above us and we're below them and they're taking care of us. I mean, and so where you are right now is right in that that thing um, as they're entering high school and stuff. I'm there as well, where it starts becoming alongside of someone instead of being like the two-year-old that you can pick up and just put in the car seat and strap in. Like, you, it, it's the natural order of things. You, you you're supposed to lose that control. And every day is one more day that they should need you less and stuff. So anyways, I was just thinking about like coming to the table and how, as I reflected on my life, how sometimes, you know, I come to the table and there's a lot of things in the Bible about coming to a table. And one of it is like how, you know, watch where you sit yourself at the table. And somewhere along the way, I think when I was going through life change of divorce, which was not pleasant, I just remember always wanting to sit myself at the very end of the table and letting God move me where he wanted. And I still find myself. And then I thought about the story of of the lady who finds herself at Jesus' feet at the table saying, even the crumbs, even the dogs get a crumb from the table. And just the whole idea of like coming to the table is really something that we can do together like in a real sense, but how like in a spiritual sense, just coming to the table wherever you're at, sitting somewhere, finding your spot. And sometimes, you know, you like you feel like you're on fire, like you're awesome, like everything in your world is going good and you want to sit yourself high at the table. I have just found myself always just, no matter where I am in life, saying I'm going to sit way down here. And if God wants to move me up, he can move me up. And there are other times where I'm either at the end of the table, the older I get, the more I'm like, I'll just come down here. He'll call, he'll call me if he needs me. But there's been so many times in the last few months that I have been like that woman over my children. Like, hey, even the dogs get a crumb, God. Even the dogs get a crumb. Like, even a crumb of your goodness. Even a crumb of what you have to tell me. There's no way you can be a parent and not, and not at one point or another feel like that woman that's like, if you'll just give me one word, one inkling of what I should do, one something even a little crumb to the dog from your table is enough. And I just, I guess I just wanted to encourage, you know, as believers, when we interact with one another or other non-believers, just to remember everyone is sitting in a different spot in their life at the table. And whether someone believes in the Father or doesn't, it's irrelevant to me at this point in my life. You're at the table. Where are you at the table? And how can I love you and help you? Because I'm a believer and sometimes I'm in some really bad spots at this table that are terrible and out of my control. The older kids get, the more out of control it seems. Or like, you know, just different things that have gone on. Callie's had some weird medical things and it's just out of my control. I can't figure anything out. And, um, you know, at some point I've learned to just start resting at the table. Like the best of my human mind. I mean, I'll even look at the last nine months. There's been enough time for me to look back and be like, oh, man, you were an idiot. You didn't know what you were doing. I was doing the best I could do in the moment, and I'm still going to do the best I can do in the moment. But how much my human knowledge is really so little as a parent. It just really is so little. You know, I even thought about you, Suzanne, the other day. I was thinking Colby's getting ready to go to college and how I don't have money set up. I did good to take care of him. That's the truth. I did good to take care of him and, 
try to get him a car and try to get him those things he loved, like basketball for you dance. And there was nothing left over. This is it. Hope it works out for you and you don't have a lot of debt in college. And just, the, it was just silly, the things that get us as parents, where I'm, I find myself in little things like that, still being like a, a, a woman, like a dog at the table, just give me something. And so I guess there's a lot of ways that this could um, unfold in our lives, this whole idea of the table. But I think one thing that has really humbled me lately is just the deep compassion for the people around us. Everyone's at the table. If they're at a good spot at the table, awesome, we should celebrate with them. Because a day is coming when they will probably be um, at a lesser desired spot at the table. Um, and really to, to be mindful of it. And to be mindful of our people that we are close to and connected to, that, that we're bearing their burden. That And I've had some, I mean, Chandra has gotten right down there with me saying, hey, even a crumb. You know, she's been really instrumental in my world in the last few months. But if we can get down and beg for the crumb for our people, we, we're good at begging for ourselves. But we are the best. And we are the best reflective of the Father and of Jesus when we can get right down there with him and say, just give him a crumb, God. Give him a crumb of, of your goodness, of your word, of your sustain, your sustaining presence, something. Give him whatever that is. Um, just how powerful that can be in their lives because no one likes to be begging for a crumb like a dog by themselves. It just pretty much stinks. <laughs> so to reach out to people also when you're in that spot that you can trust. And, you know, Benedict, I, I just really feel like you know, God might even take this whole thought and unfold it in your world in another way because I think he's talking to you about the table and the importance of it. For some reason, I think that's a pivotal thing in your world. It probably You'll probably be an old man still thinking about the importance of the table. It's probably just going to be intricate to your ministry would be my guess. But there's just so many things I think that are powerful about that and about the teaching that just probably the impact you could have on the world if we if you could help people understand the importance of the table, especially when God is invited at that table, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. So whatever that might mean to you guys, it, it definitely took on a really deep thing, I, I, you know, with me this week as the Lord unfolded it in different ways for me. Um, but I think that the message of the table is powerful and this where we sit at the table is a powerful thought, you know. To that, would you just come up and just really quickly talk about the stranger table before we close out? Table full of strangers, I'm sorry. I think um, I was wrestling before if I should share it or not because I didn't know if it would fit or if it would speak to anybody. Um, but I think I would like to remind us of the truth of who Jesus is and the person and the friend and the God um, we love and we trust. Um, I lived in Peru for seven months in the Andes um, in a pretty poor village. And I messed up my flight to Peru. I had to book a flight back. Um, and then they check, oh, you're planning to fly back in 180 days. That's too long. You can't have a visa for that long. So I was like, okay, book me whatever flight back. Not thinking that, of course, then they're only going to give me a visa for that period amount of time. So I was planning to stay there for four months, but my flight back was booked for 31 days because it was like, I'll just rebook it. Um, and they put, I arrived in Peru at the 
airport and they put the stamp in 31 days and I was like oh no I can't go home so I left Peru went to Bolivia the country next to it um, just to then come back in I took a teenager with me um, from the from the village he was a he was a missionary um, it's all messed up I had to bribe somebody at the border that he could come in with me and it it was crazy it was it was a really rough trip and on that trip, we went to go eat some chicken, um, as you do in South America. Um, and it was fried, but it wasn't fully fried. And I got food poisoning. And the other friend of mine, he got, is he called a typhi? Typhi? Typhus? Typhoid. He got typhoid from it. I was, uh, I was vaccinated against it, so I didn't, but I puked it all out. Um, and I was so weak. We were planning to go on a boat trip, and I just laid down on the street, and I could not move anymore. I was just done. And I had to drag myself back to a hostel, um, where in the hostel, I still had my Lufthansa puking bag in my sweater that I had to use in the reception. So the woman gave me a free room just for the afternoon, and she made me a tea and took care of me. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I was so weak, so beat up, and I couldn't even make it up that hill to a small hostel anymore. And I just, I just wanted to lay in the shade and be done. And so I had to think of Christ and being beat up and just being over it. And all you want to do is take care of yourself and lay down and be done. And I just had to think of him carrying that cross and like the motivation you need when you're done when your well is empty, the motivation you need to keep on going for somebody else, like that is an insane amount of love that I, I think we can barely understand. Probably parents can understand that the best. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to remind us that that, that God that we serve and that we love and that we can trust is, is a good God that gives us good things um, and that loves us very deeply and very genuinely. And that he loves us on our journey. Um, and that we do not have to have arrived somewhere or have to have figured it out or have to be in a perfect spot to be loved by him. Um, but that he sees us the way we are and he really looks into your eye. And as we've lacked social interaction maybe the last couple of months, there's something about eye contact that is really just comforting. And I want to remind yourself that he looks at you and he really sees you. And I think that's part of the idea of the table full of strangers, um, to see people. Because when I arrived in America, and we just randomly found this church called Clear Path, um, we, we saw Jordan and Andrea the first time when they had a hangout in their backyard, and there were still some chickens there, and we were like, okay, this is kind of weird, this is cool. Um, but I remember I met Ryan, and that guy looked me into the eyes, and in five months I haven't had an encounter like that. And he asked me, how are you? And I was, I was shocked by the way that made me feel, because I was like, this is a normal question. But nobody's asked me that in so long. And I feel like people need to be asked that simple question. So the table full of strangers is not like some 
some crazy like you have to ha live radical hospitality all like every day so you can do this but this is just go invite your neighbor for dinner and ask them how they are and go from there trust the spirit that he will help you ask the right questions and especially listen to the answers even if they don't make any sense um so table full of strangers um we've already had a couple of people here from from ClearPath sign up, and we would love if more of you guys want to join. You can sign up either as a host family, meaning you provide your house and the table you have in your house, and maybe maybe you got a barbecue or whatever. Just provide some provide some logistical stuff, and then we partner partner you up with a partner family also from our community. Um, so for once, we want to connect inside of our community because we do not want to trivialize. Um, being a strong community and loving ourselves and getting to know each other. But you as a host family will invite your neighbor, maybe a friend you haven't talked to in that long, and the partner family will do the same thing. So the friends, the partner family will bring our strangers to you and vice versa. So that's one simple way, going to meet a stranger. Um, that's not science. <laughs> and the other thing is go knock on your neighbor's door Maybe there's an elderly woman whose family lives states away or who, whose children are going to college and she doesn't know what to do. Or just invite people. Go knock on a door or if you want to be super extreme, <laughs> go hop in a truck and pick up some homeless people and bring them home to you. I don't know. There's some really practical things we can do and mostly they're really close to our house. And so that's the idea behind it. Um, you can sign up. Andrea will send out the the Google form, um, and then we will let you know. We already made a quick video about like things you can do. Um, we'll send out more emails to you, um, and it's a one-time thing. And if you want to do it again, do it again. Awesome, Benedict. Thank you. I'm gonna close us close us out with prayer. And Business Incubator starts this week. We've got. 26 people signed up to be there. So if you are if you are signed, some of those are inside ClearPass, some out. If you want to, if you last day to sign up, if you want to let us know, then we are really, really excited about that. But if you can stand with me. Do we have, can we pull up the prayer on the screen or are we? All right. Sayla's doing the prayer. Okay. Come on, Sayla. She made the bread too. So let's give her a hand. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is given that we receive, it is in parting that we are parted, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Good job. We love you guys. We thank you for bearing with us in a unique and weird, different service morning. So you guys have a great week. Surely we'll be back to normal next week. <laughs>